Welcome to this episode of Naked Men Talking, a podcast exploring naturism and the power of getting your clothes off. I'm Gareth Johnson. On today's episode, we're joined by Wynne Oliver. Wynne is the author of Homework, which he describes as a memoir and a masturbation manifesto. Wynne, welcome. Thank you so much. I feel honored to be here. <laughs> well, I guess a good starting point would be to ask about when you were growing up, what was your relationship with your body and getting naked? What was that like for you? Well, my relationship with my body has always been a love-hate relationship. But in tribute to Naked Men Talking, I am coming to you fully nude. In full glory. I love it. Full glory. Yes. Um, that's something new for me. But helps to, I think, actually, ironically, calm my nerves a little bit. This is my first author interview. Um, I'd much rather be hiding behind my writer's pen and pad and orchestrating every word and having final edit. But here we go. <laughs> So as as I approach 60 years old, which is mind boggling to me, because in my mind, I don't feel 60 at all. I, I still have to remind myself of my age and feel like I'm 20. But finally, and the book talks about this journey, I'm in a good place with my body. Um, I'm kind of at peace with my body. It took a long time to get here, but I'm kind of in the best shape of my life. I don't have the body that I had 30 years ago. But that's okay. So this journey, um, I was a chubby kid. Now, I wasn't always a chubby kid. I think it started around first grade because when I look at old family photos, I was, I was a pretty lean kid. So I think my obsession with food and gaining so much weight was probably due to some early sexual abuse that I talk about in the book um, and acting out in, in different ways in the book. But I was a chubby kid and I always felt like an outsider. Compound that with feeling that I was attracted to men and knowing that that was weird or wrong or strange. I grew up in the 1970s, so there were no gay role models at all, especially not in suburban America. So while I inwardly could accept the fact that I was attracted to guys, on the other hand, I knew I wasn't gay because all I knew about gay men was that they always dressed like women. Uh. And I knew that wasn't me. So so interesting how today, you know, role models and people being out and proud and having gay dads and gay uncles. Like for me, you know, between me and my husband, we have 10 nieces and nephews. And they've just always grown up with Uncle Wynn and Uncle Luis. It's never had to be explained, it just was. It was just a natural part of their lives. But going back to the 1970s, that was when um, there were segregated physical education classes. So all the boys played sports together, all the girls were separated, and it meant daily required showers in the gym. So being forced to get naked every day, five days a week, was a traumatic experience for me. Why was it traumatic for you? Well, because I noticing any guys who were pudgy like me, 
Um, I was just focused. I mean, there probably were, but I was just focused on all the naturally lean, cut up boys in my classes. I was interested and intrigued and turned on by their bodies. So I felt like an outsider in that way because, of course, I was looking, but trying to be caught not looking. And <laughs> I was obsessed by the pubic hair. I, I remember being smooth, but seeing those pits and seeing that, that you know, those bushes, I just was mesmerized. <laughs> so being chubby, being gay, and then adding, I was diagnosed at that time with neurodermatitis. Oh, what's that? Which was this terrible rash on the backs of my thighs and up to my buttocks that I would scratch and scratch until it bled. Oh. Then it scabbed over and I would scratch again. So sometimes my pants were dotted with little blood stains on, on the back of the pants. Plus, if I wore corduroy, the corduroy was worn away between my thighs, my fat thighs rubbing together. Um, I took neurodermatitis to, to be medical shorthand for, we don't know what you are, but you're crazy and that's why you're itching. <laughs> and we'll give you this, this cream that really doesn't help. But that, that lasted up until my early 20s. So oh, wow. there, there, were a, there were a lot of things that made me very uncomfortable with my body. Yeah, well, to be where you are now and feeling a lot more confident, it's a huge turnaround for you, really. It's huge, 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 huge. So, you know, and again, there were things, you know, I don't know, did you have in physical education where the boys would play shirts versus skins? Uh-huh, yep, totally. So so they could differ, differentiate between team members. I mean, that was just torture <laughs> for a fat boy. I mean, it was just awful. Torture for any gay boy, I think, really. It was just like, what are you doing? You're fucking with me now. Like. <laughs> and turn on. I mean, you know, then you would go home and obsess on it. Um, and plus my dad and my brothers, my three younger brothers had, you know, fabulous lean bodies and they always w walked around shirtless in the summer so it was it was it was very disconcerting for me um and then when it went, i was in my last year of high school i made what in retrospect seems like a terrible decision i began dieting oh and so there began six years of binging and denying I didn't purge. I would have, I, I guess I would have liked to purge, but vomiting is one of the worst things I can do. So that was never going to happen for me. But it was just this yo-yo dieting for so long. When I was 20, I met my first boyfriend and we were together for six years. So when we met, I lost a ton of weight. I um, was in the best shape of my life. But then I explore those six years in the book because it was a time of... <sighs> You know, when you grow up as a fat kid, you I don't think you ever really let go of that insecurity. Like it's always there on the surface, ready to come up no matter how self-confident you are. I guess it's a form of body dysmorphia, isn't it? It is totally. And then what what's interesting, though, is my husband of 28 years, so I know the man very well. Um, he was always skinny as a kid and hated it where, you know, that was my dream. That was my <laughs> sexual ideal and, and always has been. So, so of course, he likes guys that are, are built or, you know, actually have some chunk on them. Um, and 
I don't mind that, but my preference, you know, you always want what's what's what you opposite don't have. of you. Exactly, that's totally it. Always, <laughs> and it's just it's just crazy how the how the mind works. Um, you know, and probably I was only twenty pounds overweight the times that I was overweight, but in my mind, it may as well have been six hundred pounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh. Finally, when that six-year relationship ended. I had six years of single life, and that's when I started working out. I lost weight for good, but in a in a healthy way, not not in a dysmorphic way. And I finally achieved the body that I always wanted. Because for me, it wasn't that I wanted those seemingly perfect guys. I did want them, but what it really was is I wanted to be them. Uh huh. No, totally. You know, I I don't know if you know the Cure song. Um, I want to be you. So, 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 you know, I always sang that, you know, I always sang that, that song in my head. So finally I had this life where I was them and it was so liberating and so sexually liberating and so sexually wild. <laughs> now I want to get into your book, Homo Work. I mean, you're really exploring all sorts of different facets of the queer experience. But one aspect that you're looking at is you describe it as a masturbation manifesto. What is a masturbation manifesto? Well, I am definitely a jerk-off addict. I would describe myself as a chronic compulsive masturbator, or the word that they they use now is bader. Um, So my book is a tell-all book. I do not hold anything back. I think part of the reason why that was easy for me to do or or more comfortable is because i used a pseudonym in writing the book so so that was very liberating um but the book is not merely erotica it's not porn it's a self-exploration in every detail in explicit detail so it's um interesting because you know when you reveal yourself that much you think, well, am I being too specific? Like, is is there anybody going to be exactly like me? I mean, uh, some people might have. Will anyone relate to my experience? Because it's very much my right. experience. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and super specific uh-huh. and super, you know, I'm very, very um, picky about the things that turn me on and the things that don't turn me on. Uh. For, for me personally, I am open-minded and can appreciate other people's kinks, but I finally realized that the more idiosyncratic that I made my book, that the more I doubled down on that, um, on the themes of self-acceptance, on the themes of sexual exploration, and definitely on the theme of finding the humor and humanity in all things in life. I'm very self-deprecating in the book. I'm very campy. I'm very witty. Um, So I'm always, you know... I guess you can be turned on by a lot of the sexual parts of the book, but there's always an undercurrent of humor that kind of um, looks at it from a distance and just realizes how absurd it really is. (laughs) Well, you volunteered to give us an excerpt from the book. Lay it on us. Let's hear some of it. Okay. I chose an excerpt of when I first discovered masturbation, because I thought that would that would be good for for this um, interview. Very on topic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so let's let's um, dive right in. This is chapter eight. It's entitled "My Junk." I was born with hexadactyly, which means I have six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. 
Six in every 3,000 newborns in Mexico manifest this condition. Once my parents got over the initial shock of giving birth to a mutant, my Chicano father changed my middle name from Hector to Hexter. This made up moniker was a last minute mashup of his own middle name and my rare hexa digits. As they say, big hands, big gloves. Custom made, of course, and in my case, big boots to boot. Well, size six, but extra wide nonetheless. With these immense mitts, I was destined to be a writer and a major league masturbator. If idle hands are the devil's workshop, Hexter's ever flying fingers must be some kind of holy. My first best friend who lived across the street from our newly built tract home was Cy Cocker. Cy saw to it that my developing testes never required the release of excess semen. No nocturnal emissions for us future Boy Scouts because Cy briefed me about when his cousin Cliff Baker visited from out of town the previous summer. In Cy's backyard playhouse, college boy Cliff stripped down to his jockey shorts and showed his little cousin his way of making his dick spit a creamy nut. What else were two red-blooded boys who saw each other once a year going to do with an entire afternoon to kill? When all he did was shake his dick for a minute, then sperm came out of it. No way, yes way. I obsessed over Sai's story and for the next several nights, privately attempted to jiggle my weenie into ejaculation, all to no avail. Six days later, I was sleeping over at Sai's house. For some reason, he had two single beds in his upstairs room, so we always slept apart. But that night, he brought his pillow into my bed and propped it up under his head alongside me. I whispered, hey, Sai, you remember what you told me about your cousin? What's his name? Cliff something? As if his name hadn't already been burned into my brain. Cliff Baker. Yeah, what about him? Show me what he did again, I urged not wanting to be left behind and aspiring to star in my favorite show, A Little Night Mucus. Up and down, as if riding his penis like a trotting pony, Sai demonstrated. I'm a fast learner and soon joined him. With our pajama tops yanked up and tucked under our chins like reins and our bottoms pulled down below our bottoms like we were riding bareback, Sai and I were oblivious of each other, yet never so in sync. Our glands poured forth epinephrine and sweat, increasing our heart rates and soaking our hairless pits and smooth butt cracks. Suddenly, our steady pace thundered into full gallop. We matched each other stroke for blurry stroke, furlong for furious furlong, until we reached a photo finish. The subsequent extreme sensation was unprecedented. I kept on pumping because my dick was instantly addicted. From that moment forward, my cock would compel me to prolong my orgasms for as long as possible, and often a lot longer than medically advisable. But on that inaugural occasion, I had no idea where my horse dick and I would land after such a meteoric rise. Like a crowded high-rise elevator stopping at every single floor on the punctuated journey to the ground level, I eased up by degrees and eventually got off. Through the one eye that dared to look, I assessed the damage. I hadn't gone blind because I could clearly see that my palms hadn't sprouted hair. Nothing horrifying had occurred, 
that was just a bit of fluid drooling down my dick. Sigh, sperm, look, I hoarsely commanded. That's just pee, he surmised skeptically. It's not sperm. Maybe he was right. What did I know from sperm? I never met Cliff Baker, but picture him as some photogenic prep school punk who didn't think twice before whipping out his wet dick and whacking off right in his cousin's face, daring Cy to say shit. Shit, your secret's safe with us, Cliff. No need to flex your foreboding physique, dude. We're merely two gobsmacked nine-year-olds thinking, Wonderama, how can your body feel so good? There was no need for porn, like we had any access to that in 1972, or for private fantasy, because Cy and I would each climax after a handful of glorious tugs. The technique Cliff had modeled for Cy was to use the fingertips of your two hands to gingerly grasp both sides of your shaft as you stimulated yourself into the stratosphere. Years later, I discovered most guys used one manly fist, not 10 dainty phalanges, or in my case, my baker's dozen. When my chronically cruel younger brother, Andrew, whom I called Andro due to the excessive number of male hormones coursing through his jock bod, made a jacking off gesture by his groin to tell me to go fuck myself. Well, blow me down, you can do that too? I realized I was practicing puff all wrong. Cy and I named our mutual masturbation puff because soon after it became our daily ritual, both our dicks mysteriously swelled to twice their girth. Did we each burst a blood vessel? Were we totally fucked? Should I tell mama who bore me our members looked like they were wearing flesh-colored down jackets in the dead of summer? While I'd come to learn that many grown men intentionally pump up their phalluses, or is it phalli, to a similar pleasantly plump status, this unexpected bloating of our bulges scared the stroke out of us. But after what seemed an eternity, our mutual inflammation naturally subsided. And equally as naturally, Cy and I were back at Puff, the magic one-eyed dragon, the next day, and with renewed relish. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> really brought that to life. That's vivid. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when I was wondering, did writing the book give you any new perspectives on some of those experiences? Because these are sort of formative experiences that you're exploring. Was it almost some form of therapy for you? It was absolutely a form of therapy because I wrote about some really fun sexual things that I, I was um, excited to revisit. And then some deep personal things, betrayal, loss, um, sexual abuse and trauma that were very difficult to write about. Some things that I had suppressed for a long time that I really had never wrestled with or, or reconciled. Um, so I'm a very slow writer. So I write slowly and I edit and I re-edit and edit and edit and edit. Um, I consider myself a wordsmith. So words are very important to me in finding the exact words and the exact images to convey what I felt and, and what I was experiencing is important to me. So those difficult traumatic experiences, um, when I would go to edit them, I dreaded it. I, you know, I didn't, you know, I did not want to relive it and keep having to pick at it. But what I discovered, and I wasn't expecting this at all, was that the more I looked at it through the lens of grace and humor, 
not that I was making light of it, but that, that, that even in the darkest things, there are things humorous and ironic about it that, 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 that are valid and you can talk about. I realized the more I owned those experiences and the less those experiences owned me. Mm. And that revelation was just earth shattering for me that, that finally those were my experiences and I could choose to look at them how I wanted to look at them without them plaguing my thoughts or forcing me to act out in, in ways that, that might have been self-destructive. Mm, that's really empowering, isn't it? Really powerful. And totally unexpected. Yeah, going into the writing process, yeah, you weren't quite expecting to have to go through all of that process as well. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. And not, and not actually realizing that it would be so healing and so empowering. Yeah. And so in what way is the memoir um, manifesto about masturbation? You know, in that excerpt that you read as you know, you're sharing those personal experiences and those formative experiences, manifesto implies that it's somehow a call to arms for fellow masturbators. It is a call to arms, but I don't proselytize. I don't evangelize. And I see that a lot on social media with self-described um, chronic compulsive baiters, solo sexuals, porno sexuals, hypersexuals, autosexuals. There's a great um, <laughs> desire to label ourselves these days. <laughs> and I think that's fine because part of that is empowering and it's part of finding your community and your niche. So, so I don't poo-poo it or, or denigrate it. Um, because another overriding theme of the book is non-judgment. And, you know, part of owning my body, even owning um, my dad body, which, you know, I had never heard of the term <laughs> dad body. I think it's, 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 a, it's a fairly recent term. But the fact that these guys who I think are incredibly attractive and especially younger guys who I wouldn't think would be in, interested in an almost 60-year-old like me prefer me exactly how I am is just <laughs> mind-boggling to me. Yeah, you definitely shouldn't overthink it. It's like, okay, if that's what they're into, that's, that's not up to you to question, is it? And and that goes both ways. So like we were talking about where I, I, I doubled down on making my book very specific and, and owning that and knew that, I know, because I know when I read something or see something, I don't have to 100% relate to it, but I can relate to the feeling behind it and and especially the passion behind it. And so I have a I have a um, scene in the book that I recount that my best friend and I when you know in those years in the early 90s when when I really had the body I craved and I was feeling really good about myself, we made a reservation at this. Um, gay motel in Palm Springs. And we knew that the pool area was clothing optional, but we weren't told that that weekend, most of the rooms were booked for a penis pumping convention. <laughs> so when we went out to the pool, there was what I describe as an octopussy of extension cords coming out from all these pumpers rooms because it was a, a central courtyard um, with the pools and all these men were on their lounge chairs with these vacuum pumps attached to their penises and just enjoying the day. And 
that's really not something that's sexually titillating to me at all, not anything that I'd be interested in. But at the same time, talking to these guys, their passion for it, um, it seemed like my friend and I were outsiders in their natural habitat. So, you know, they, they were just talking about it and I was drawn to it. Like that, that passion, that, that sexual freedom really turned me on, not in a sexual way, but just in a connective way. Yeah. So being a Bader manifesto, back to your question, it's not like I'm trying to convince, like I don't feel the need to convince. I just want to tell my story where I'm seeing these days, a lot of guys, I mean, they're talking about how, oh, I masturbated or I watched porn four hours today and I really want to work up to five hours. And I've talked to guys who've gone for 14 hours and, and that's that's what I want to get to. And that's fine. I don't judge. It's your life. You're not hurting anybody. Um, I prefer a more balanced life myself, but I don't know. There's just, it. I call bullshit on a lot of it because <laughs> I just do because it's like, it's like, why are you advertising? Like, it seems less about pride and more about like trying to convince yourself that it's it's a right thing as opposed to just yeah. being comfortable about no, it. No, I agree. I think, I, I think, I, does that make sense? No, it totally does. But I also do agree with you. I think it's quite complex in a way and some people's motivations can be quite complicated because some of that feeds into a bit of a a humiliation kink as well, doesn't it? Say, you know, I'm a loser. And I've been there. Well, it, we've all been through that, exactly. <laughs> no, and believe me, I still reside there <laughs> at, at times. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of a loser bait. I can get into a good loser bait. I can even get into a good crying bait where, where baiters actually start crying. I mean, it seems ridiculous, but at the time, it's so freaking hot because it's it's the ultimate invulnerability like you're like yeah. you know i talk about it in the book like like why would that be a turn-on to call yourself a loser or and and in the moment believe it um and be committed to it and yet that's so against like everything in my outside life that, <laughs> that i would believe i was a teacher for years <laughs> you know my t entire career teaching career was about empowering and students students and emboldening them but do you think that writing about masturbation in the way that you have and and you know reflecting on it in the sort of process you've gone through does that make you more open to exploring different forms of you know self-pleasure and masturbation more adventurous in some ways it does but at the same time i don't need any encouragement <laughs> <laughs> okay for me you know i you know social media and then even you know because i was addicted i was and still am addicted to the to the phone sex line ah, I mean, that, really? that's 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 yeah and that's where you know growing up in the 90s that's where uh, you know, there was no social media, there was no internet. So that was a way of cruising and, and being being able to bait um, in the privacy of your own home with, with other people, with you know, without any hookup apps, without any cam sex or anything like that. So that that outlet on the phone lines, you know, was something that, that I used, but I realized you're exposed to a lot of things that you, you know, you re really probably wouldn't have had access to. And now with social media, you know, I think half the shit that I know, I wouldn't know if I wasn't, you know, <laughs> hanging out with, a, with these people. Um, so in a way, 
the AIDS crisis, which I write about a lot because I dealt with that, the protests, and, and my husband is, is HIV positive, um, all the death, all the loss, all of that kind of put a break on how much sexual exploration I really did. Um, and then just my commitment to work and the theater and my career and school and stuff like that. I'm glad I had those breaks put on me because believe me, I can see myself, you know, if I was a, a, an adolescent now and had the access to the, you know, the porn and stuff that, that the kids have, I probably would have been a gay Bader Miss Havisham from <laughs> from Great Expectations. You know, you'd find me in my room after 20, 30 years just baiting away. There'd be a moldering cake of cum rags. Sorry, not the... <laughs> It's such a specific reference. <laughs> the wedding dress, everything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. With one shoe on the floor. Um, so believe me, I, you know, I'm glad that I'm a married man because I, it puts a little break on my, on my baiting obsession. And, and that's, that's a good thing for me. If, if other people want to bait 12 hours a day, more power to you. I don't judge. I truly don't judge. But for me, I, I prefer to have a, more of a balance in my life. I guess my final question is if someone is interested in exploring their masturbation in different ways or broadening their approach to self-pleasure, what advice or guidance would you give them? Well, I would, I mean, the number one advice I would give is to not suppress your urges, to not judge your urges and your curiosities, to just... Um, let them be and and explore them um you don't have to be in this alone i mean the one really amazing thing about the internet is that you can find guys who are into exactly what you are in might take a little bit of hunting but you can find guys who can you know who are into those things and can who can guide you and make you feel more validated but Something that I explore in the book is the difference between fantasy and reality, because they are not the same. And to, to know that consciously in your head, fantasy is an escape from reality. It's not a personal longing for an alternate reality. So it's imagination unrestricted by reality. So let your imagination grow. That, that, that's what makes us creative beings that's what makes us beings who can grow and change so uh, you know it's an evolutionary advantage that we're able to imagine so imagine some kinky dirty things doesn't mean that you necessarily would do that in real life some of the things that i bait to in real life would turn my stomach and repulse me <laughs> but but i'm into it while i'm baiting and it's in a safe space because it's in your fantasy realm exactly no i totally agree with you yeah 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 so I, I would I would really encourage those guys. I mean, even if you're into humiliation and degradation, then then just own that and, and go wild with that. And I really think people, you know, I was talking to one potential guy on Bait World and I said, you know, would, would you mind doing phone sex? And he said, oh, that's so 90s. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, but 
But I like that because then I can close my eyes and uh, I can imagine. Yeah. And so if you're just starting out, I, I think that would actually be a, a safer space for you because then you can really let your imagination run wild without having to look at your body and judge your body. And, you know, how does my body look and how is he perceiving my body? So that's my advice. That's good advice. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. You can find me on Twitter at GTV London. Today's guest has been Wyn Oliver. You can find Wyn on Twitter at Winwood Oliver. His memoir is called Homework and it's available now. Stay naked, stay sexy, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.